Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. This afternoon, the trail less traveled is being recorded on the eastern coast of Australia. We're in Noosa, which is in Queensland, Australia. It's more than 100 kilometers north of Brisbane. And we are sitting behind a sand dune in a shady area with our back to the ocean just right on the lip of a sand dune because on the other side it's pretty windy. This is really nice, the quality, and we still are having a little bit of sea breeze. And right behind us is a swimming area, and the lifeguard is there, and there's some kids and moms playing in the water, and then about 100 meters. A bit more than that. At least a few hundred anyway, but within eyesight. So my guest here today, Dr. Leonardo Guida, could you tell us what you see? You've got your back to a tree, you're facing the ocean. What do you see when you look out there and how ironic is it? What I see when I look out, soft sand, the continual rumbling of the waves, which is probably one of the most soothing sounds you'll ever hear in your life. Amazing turquoise water, a rolling surf, people frolicking and enjoying themselves. And then on the horizon, believe it or not, you see three yellow buoys. And each one of those is a drumline. And they're put out to, quote-unquote, control sharks. So what happens is they're baited, sharks get drawn in, caught, and once they're caught, effectively shot, all in the name of protecting people. But the thing is, if you look at the span of the entire beach and the coastline, these drum lines are ineffective at keeping people safe. What's going to keep people safe is, is education and awareness and not a baited hook that's going to draw animals in. The trail has travelled is being recorded on the eastern coast of Australia. We are right near the surf and I'm speaking today with Dr. Leonardo Guida. In 2016, he completed his Ph.D. at Monash New University, studying the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. As of August 2018, he became AMCA's Senior Shark Campaigner. That's the Australian Marine Conservation Society, leading their conservation campaign, Shark Champions, in partnership with the Humane Society International. It's an honor to be here with you today, Dr. Leonardo Guida. Thank you so much for your time and for joining me on the Trail Less Traveled on location. Thank you, Mandela. The pleasure's all mine. It really is. It's paradise on earth up here, and looking out onto the ocean, it just puts me right at ease. So my first question for you is, where did you grow up, and how was adventure and sharks a part of your childhood? I grew up in Melbourne, Victoria, and that's the capital city of Victoria, which is the southernmost part on the east coast of the Australian mainland. And admittedly, city boy... But um, we had the gorgeous Port Phillip Bay at our doorstep, so the ocean was never too far away. Sharks and adventure. As a kid, I was always super curious and loved science and zoology and animals for as long as I can remember. 
I can remember in my backyard getting old four litre milk containers, these square tubs and creating little terrariums or environments in them and then going around my backyard collecting insects and putting them inside in different varieties and then over the week I'd just watch and see what had happened. So I was a very keen naturalist I suppose from a young age. Sharks came into the mix. I couldn't tell you when other than quite simply I was a kid but I used to raid libraries at my school library I used to watch every single Nat Geo documentary I could I was just in awe of sharks I used to draw them and I couldn't get enough and obviously I'm going to struggle putting a shark in a four litre ice cream container so (laughs) the next best thing I could do was was go down to Port Phillip Bay on, on my summer holidays with my family and down the Victorian coastline and just really enjoy the surf and just imagine what was out there and look on the horizon and and imagine how far out a shark might be how deep might it be what's it doing right now what's it thinking all the while I was there standing on the beach and this passion has never left me when I started university you know, like most people, I didn't quite know what I wanted to be. But in the back of my mind, there was always this dream as a kid of working with sharks. So I figured, look, I don't know how hard it's going to be to get there just yet, but I know I love science, I know I love animals. Let's give it a crack at uni and, and see where it goes. So through uni, the more I studied, the more I became in love with the natural world, animals, ecology, human interactions with them their anatomy, their physiology, everything. So I finished university, did my scientific studies and went on a bit of a hiatus for a year or so and travelled around Europe. And funnily enough, the last thing I wanted to do was science just because I think I'd just been burnt out. But towards the end of my trip, I remember sitting in a pub, drinking a beer and kind of looking back on the whole trip and going, you know, this year's been amazing. I've seen amazing places across the world, met some amazing people. It was like in my head someone was knocking at this back door just wanting to come in. So I entertained the thought. And I realised it was that same voice from a kid saying, Leo, don't forget the sharks. Like, what's happening with them? Like, what are we doing here? And it was then I kind of (laughs) realised, I suppose to put it poetically, I can't escape my fate. And so when I got back to Australia, I seriously considered a PhD studying sharks, but I knew it was quite a big call. And I'd had a job lined up with a pharmaceutical company. So I started that. And I thought, look, maybe it's just a flash in the pan thing. You know, I've got to get a job, got to make money, etc., etc. And it was still science. But when something's gnawing at your bones and you ignore a passion, you realise it's never going to leave you. And it dawned on me this epiphany that it's in my bones, it's in my blood. I don't know what the future's going to predict, but what I can control is now. And that's when I decided... I'm going to do my PhD, I'm going to fulfil my childhood dream and I'm going to become a shark scientist. And so went to Monash University, saw my old supervisors, Dr Richard Rayner, and he said, you know what, there's actually a shark project on at the moment. It's looking at how commercial fisheries affect shark and ray populations. Didn't have to tell me much more, I was, I was signed up. So I did my PhD at Monash with Associate Professor Richard Rayner and Dr Terry Walker and I completed that in 2016 and it was... To this day, one of the most difficult journeys I've been on, but at the same time, the most rewarding journey I've been on, not just in a professional sense, but in a personal sense, being able to live a dream, and even more so, being able to actually understand on a very intimate level the relationship humans have with sharks and rays, and quite frankly, the threat they're under. And it's, to put it bluntly, it's our fault. But at the same time, 
we can save them. That is the voice of Dr. Leonardo Guida. We are recording the trail less traveled on location in eastern Australia. We are sitting on the lip of a sand dune. Just behind us is the ocean. Dr. Leonardo Guida completed his PhD at Monash University, studying the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. As of August 2018, he became the Australian Marine Conservation Society's senior shark campaigner, leading their conservation campaign, Shark Champions, in partnership with the Humane Society International. All right. Well, Dr. Leonardo Guida, it's now time to perhaps dive into sharks because there's a lot to say about these amazing creatures. And they haven't evolved in thousands of years because they're so perfect, in my opinion. I suppose in its most simplest sense, sharks haven't really evolved much, actually, in all 450 million years that they've been on Earth. They obviously have evolved and have changed in terms of size and function and what they eat and the shape of their teeth and their colorations and even rays which evolved from ancestral sharks. Well I like to think of them as quite a perfect specimen and that's what stuck with me since I was a kid. I always thought of sharks as nature's ultimate creation. She really got that one right. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us the story of the shark? Sure. So sharks like every organism on Earth, are continually in a state of evolution, including ourselves. But I suppose at a a very simple level, they have remained largely unchanged for the better part of 450 million years, which is an amazing amount of time. But over that journey, they have evolved some quite unique traits that, that make sharks and rays absolutely incredible. And that is the ability to sense bioelectrical signals in the water. So rays, for example, will use this sense to discover crustaceans that live under the sand, that that aren't visible. They've also developed a really keen sense of smell. Now, it's a myth that they can smell a drop of blood from a mile away. But nonetheless, the sense of smell is quite attuned. They've also got what they call a lateral line system. And what that does is, is that sharks are able to detect the biological signals and vibrations within the water, particularly of struggling animals, and that they then can sense a sense of direction, move towards, and essentially hunt their prey. Rays have a very, very soft spot in my heart, and that's because during my PhD studies, I worked very closely with the southern fiddler ray, which is endemic to the southern parts of, of Australia. It's found nowhere else in the world. The amazing thing about the Southern Fiddler Ray is it looks like, it quite literally looks like half a ray, half a shark. It's got this front body of a ray with this tail of what you would otherwise describe as a shark. And I worked with pregnant females, believe it or not, giving them ultrasounds and, and, and watching their little embryos flicker in their uteri and trying to understand how the stress of fisheries capture affects rays during pregnancy because quite often they're caught in the summer periods when they're pregnant even by recreational fishes and because they're not really wanted they're you know quickly handled gotten off the hook or gotten out of a trawl and thrown back in the water in the hope that they survive and I really wanted to look at well with all that stress that's going on you know survival yes is important but what about those unborn kids like how is it going to affect them will the young survive just the same will she go to full term in pregnancy because ultimately that will affect the reproductive ability of the animal and, by extension, the population. And it turns out that through those studies I found that actual fishing stress does have the ability to reduce the size of offspring. 
very much like us humans. So when pregnant humans go through stress, maternal body weight can drop, babies are born undersized, their immune systems are potentially compromised, and this can all have ramifications for their future health and growth. And I found very similar happenings with the offspring of these southern fiddler rays. So the true effects of, of what fishing does to populations, it not only essentially kills sharks and rays, but there's also this sublethal effect or this effect that we're not really sure of what's happened that could hurt populations as well. That is the voice of Dr. Leonardo Guida. We are recording the trail less traveled on location in eastern Australia. We're in Noosa. Noosa is more than 100 kilometers north of Brisbane on the eastern coast of Australia in Queensland. Now, Dr. Leonardo Guida is the senior shark campaigner for the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Leonardo, it's now time for a song. Is there a song that you can share with us that reminds you of your early childhood adventures? The one I was thinking of was the theme song to Street Sharks. Because that was a cartoon in the 90s. And on Saturday mornings, I loved watching cartoons. And I remember Street Sharks, they were like half man, half shark. And they'd go out fighting crime and saving the world. And (laughs) there was a tiger shark, there was a hammerhead shark, there was a great white shark, I think. And I loved it because it was like two of the greatest things ever, cartoons and sharks. And there was this real sense of adventure and and fighting for justice and, and going out there and, you know, really making a change, which at the time I never really thought of in terms of conservation. But I suppose looking back, that would probably have appealed to me because I, I feel like I do have this fighting spirit and, and this passion for sharks. And, and with AMCS and the campaign, this need to essentially speak up for those who can't, and that, and that being the sharks. So, yeah, now that I think back to that song, I might not have known it at the time, but looking back, yeah, definitely a winner. Day, mate. This is Joe coming to you from the Sunshine Coast in Eastern Australia. The Trail Less Travelled podcast is sponsored by Desert Green Hemp, family farmed, organically grown, tested, and manufactured in Sisters, Oregon. Desert Green is a collective of farms on the eastern foothills of the Oregon Cascade Range that grow and produce the highest quality full spectrum CBD products currently on the market. Desert Green grows some of the finest genetics in the world using organic and biodynamic practices to provide the cleanest and most effective CBD. The rich volcanic mountain soils, dry climate and directly sourced mountain spring waters are what gives Desert Green uniquely pure and powerful CBD products. They also grow a variety of herbs and flowers on their farms that not only provide a direct source for some of their products but also introduce beneficial bugs and pollinators to their land. Desert Green Hemp pride themselves on contributing to the regeneration of social, economic and environmental health on our planet. Visit desertgreenhemp.com to check out some of their products including CBD honey, olive oil, salve, mint yarrow CBD tincture and hemp flour for smoking. My personal experience regarding CBD includes an overall feeling of calmness and relief from anxiety. A few years ago, I unfortunately encountered full-body joint pain due to an Australian virus that passes from kangaroo to mosquito. CBD helped relieve inflammation and pain similar to arthritis. Visit desertgreenhemp.com and remember to use the promo code MANDELA, M-A-N-D-E-L-A. This promo code will get you discounts and special offers. 
That promo code, Mandela, directly helps you and the future of Adventure Radio. You're listening to The Trail Less Travelled. Right now, we're recording on a gorgeous Noosa Beach on the southeast coastline of Queensland, Australia. I'm sure you can probably hear the sound of the waves rumbling, turquoise waters, and the sea breeze running through our air. What little hair I've got. Beautiful. That is the voice of Dr. Leonardo Guida. <laughs> Leonardo is the senior shark campaigner for the Australian Marine Conservation Society here in Australia. Dr. Leonardo Guida completed his PhD in 2016 at Monash University studying the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. We're going to dive into that now. Dr. Guida, can you tell us about your research and some of the cold hard facts of what's happening to the world's sharks and rays? So my PhD at Monash was looking at the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. Specifically, I was looking at how stressed out sharks and rays get and how that affects their abilities to survive when they're caught and even when they're released. You're probably wondering, how do sharks and rays get stressed when they're caught? Well, if you think of it like someone running a really intense short sprint, it's a bit like that, in the sense that the muscles are activated really fast and the animal gets exhausted really quickly. And they get this build-up of lactic acid and, and all these other changes that occur to their metabolism and physiology. And it's very much like what would happen to you if you ran a race and you were huffing and puffing at the end of it. The difference is you might be running a race of maybe 20 or 30 seconds, if that. Sharks can be on the line or in a net or in a trawl for hours. That sound you were hearing in the background was the surf life-saving chopper helicopter that patrols the beach and just keeps an eye out and makes sure everyone's enjoying their summer safely. So my PhD at Monash was looking at the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. Specifically, I was looking at how sharks and rays get stressed when they're captured and how this relates to their ability to survive capture both during and once they're released. Now, you might be asking, how exactly does a shark or ray get stressed when it's captured? You know, and what kills it? Well, it's very much like you running a sprint race. So... In the 10 or 20 seconds that you're sprinting somewhere, or even if you're a marathon runner really, you get a build-up of lactic acid and your body becomes exhausted and your muscles stiffen up and you're struggling to breathe and you're huffing and puffing and you can't move properly. And you feel like you're going to die. Well, it's pretty much the same thing for sharks and rays, except instead of it being you know, a 10 or 20 second race, you're talking about hours on a line or in a gillnet or in a trawl. And unfortunately for a lot of species, this does kill them. And even if they are released, their ability to survive, it's uncertain. Sharks and rays are under enormous threat from fishing around the world. About 100 million are killed each year, and a quarter of their species are facing the threat of extinction. And this is one of the highest rates of any vertebrate group. It's absolutely astonishing. Australia is a shark and ray hotspot. And that means that of all the species known in the world, one quarter live in Australian waters. And of those, half of them are found nowhere else in the world. So it's no wonder why I'm extremely passionate about our Australian species, shark and ray species in general, and why I'm driven to improve their conservation here in this lovely place I call home. Dr. Leonardo Guida, I think that there are a lot of misconceptions and fear-driven actions by humans in this world 
because of sharks. And I was wondering if you could shed some light on why people believe that they are just these monsters lurking off our coast versus what they're actually doing, which is swimming. They've been here for millions and millions and millions of years. They're not out there to get humans. It's okay to go into the water. It's much more dangerous to get into your car and go for a drive. I know that attacks do happen, but I feel like a lot of what's happening around the world, for example, the drum lines, which is baiting sharks off the coast of Australia, is fear-driven. So can you give us some facts about sharks in that way? Can you help to clear some stereotypes about this species? Sharks are incredibly intelligent animals, and they do have the capacity to learn. They're also, some people might find surprisingly, social animals. The great white in particular, you might think, is this lonesome, rogue predator lurking the oceans, when in fact, it's quite a gentle, graceful, and social animal. And I can say that because I've had the fortunate experience of diving with them in South Africa, and for the first time in my life, I really appreciated how an animal of five or so metres, hundreds of kilos of immense power can be so graceful and so calm in the water it just blew me away I actually had to remind myself to put my hands back in the cage because I was just trying to get the best picture I was just so taken back by the experience but as I said earlier they're incredibly social animals and, and great whites when they're around each other they exert a hierarchy they let each other know you know who's in charge or who should stay away and they're not mindless the other thing I like to tell people especially back home in Melbourne in Port Phillip Bay where you know, it's not really seen as waters where there are sharks when in fact there are and rays and they're absolutely gorgeous and amazing and what I like to tell people is that you would be surprised how many times you've gone in the water and a shark has probably seen you and you haven't seen it and that just goes to show how much a shark probably really couldn't care less about you. <laughs> That's not to distract from the fact that obviously it is quite tragic and unfortunate when someone is bitten, and even worse still, uh, when someone is unfortunately killed. But the general picture is, is that they're intelligent beings, they're social beings, going about their businesses they have for 450 million years, and... Sometimes, as unfortunate as it is, we get in the way. But not only that, sharks are also incredibly curious animals. And the other anecdote I like telling people is, is that with a lot of cute and cuddly animals that they come across, like, say, a dog, for example, a dog is very curious about you. It might come up to you and sniff you and, and gently lick you and, you know, you don't feel threatened by it. Or you might get, say... A monkey, a playful monkey who's coming up to the glass at a zoo and is gesturing with its hands. With sharks, you've got to remember they don't have hands. They don't have a tongue. And often the way they exert their curiosity is swimming around things, getting closer to things. And sometimes, because they don't have hands, maybe a bit of a test bite. It's just unfortunate that that test bite happens to be filled with really sharp teeth and a powerful jaw and relative to a shark we're a matchstick so sharks are exerting their curiosity they're curious beings they want to learn more about their surroundings as i said they're intelligent animals 
It's just unfortunate that when they do so, we have this gross misconception, and I'm not even going to use the word because I don't like using it, but we have this gross misconception that their bite is an act of aggression towards us. When in fact, the shark may be curious. The shark may actually be scared of you, much like a dog might threaten to bite you when it's scared of you. It's just very, very unfortunate that often if a bite does occur, it can be quite traumatic and at worst fatal. That is the voice of Dr. Leonardo Guida. And we are recording the trail that's traveled on the eastern coast of, of Australia. Dr. Guida did his studies on the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. He is the senior shark campaigner for the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Now, Leonardo, let's talk a little bit more about fishing, commercial fishing. Mm-hmm. Sharks are under threat. They're endangered. I feel like a lot of people might think that the oceans are full of sharks and we have no problems, but they are an endangered species. And, for example, in South Africa, where I spent part of my life, I remember seeing sharks washed up on the beach with all their fins cut off and how sad that is to this day when I still see it. I have a fear that when I am older and I have a walk on the beach with my child, we won't even see any sharks washed up on the beach because they're all gone. So what's happening particularly with fishing and what are people using of the shark that makes it under so much threat? Globally, there's an increased demand for shark flesh. The exact reasons, I couldn't tell you why, but generally because a lot of the more prized fish that we would traditionally target are gradually disappearing because of overfishing. Sharks are now seen as a viable option. And the unfortunate thing is is that there are a lot of developing fisheries, a lot of developing nations that need to derive a source of income, that need to derive a source of protein for their communities. And one of the most amazing insights I ever had it really did change my whole perspective was when I was at the Sharks International Conference in South Africa a researcher was giving a presentation about her experiences from memory I think it was in the Indonesian communities now Indonesia is probably the largest fisher of sharks in the world and she was explaining to us the community perceptions around shark fisheries and the most incredible thing was is that you're talking about communities who have depended on the ocean who have fished on the ocean and who know the ocean quite intimately. I mean, these communities that have been established for thousands of years and then through that the collective experience know the importance of species and actually acknowledged how important sharks were to the marine ecosystem and their livelihood. But at the same time, they basically said that, well, if we can't fish shark, we know how important they are, but if we can't fish them, what are we going to eat? How am I going to afford anything and it really opened my eyes because coming from a developed nation it's very easy to say you know ban shark fishing or every country should stop shark fishing shark fishing should stop altogether whilst the intention at heart is great when this lady spoke about her experiences in Indonesia I I properly sort of first understood that okay there's more at stake here there's a bigger picture there's a lot of moving parts and It's not so much about banning shark fishing altogether. I mean, don't get me wrong. If that somehow happened, amazing. But the real thing we should be trying for is fishing sustainably. 
because ultimately, as I said, there are nations, including developed nations, and island nations that depend on fisheries. Culturally, they depend on fisheries. Economically, they depend on fisheries. And even for sustenance, they depend on fisheries. Now, sharks are often caught unintentionally. So if we can develop sustainable fisheries and effectively manage our fisheries so that when sharks are caught, we can maximise their survival. Or the fishing gear that we use, like a long line, perhaps instead of a net, or we trawl a different way, or perhaps we don't trawl at all. So long as we're constantly thinking of how to evolve fisheries and learn where to fish, how to fish environmentally responsibly, I think that's the path forward. And sharks will ultimately benefit from it. If we look after sharks, we're going to look after fisheries and ultimately look after the ocean. You are on the trail less travelled, and today the trail less travelled is being recorded on the eastern coast of Australia. We're in Noosa. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Leonardo Guida. He is the senior shark campaigner for Australian Marine Conservation Society. Dr. Guida specialises in the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. He is the senior shark campaigner leading the Australian Marine Conservation Society's conservation campaign, Shark Champions, in partnership with Humane Society International. Dr. Guida, I'd like to ask you now about the other reasons why you might not want to eat sharks. For example, what you might find in their body, such as mercury. So, in Australia, flake, which is shark flesh, it's commonly referred to as flake, is quite popular, especially where I'm from in Melbourne. And I'll tell you now, I'm guilty of it. Usually sold to fish and chip shops. You'll go get your chips, your dim sims, your spring rolls. Forgive me, they're hard to explain to a foreign audience, but suffice to say, they're very fried, very tasty, amazing. And typically, at a fish and chip shop, people might order flake, which is shark flesh rolled in batter and fried. As I said, I've been guilty of it. And I'll just tell you a quick story about how I've changed. And that is during my PhD, and yes, quite late in life, relatively speaking, in my mid-twenties, I was at a fish and chip shop with a mate of mine. And this is while I started my PhD. And I actually ordered flake. And we sat down and I was eating my chips and my dim sims and spring rolls and I was about to get to the flake. And I broke it, bringing it up to my mouth to eat. And just before it got to my lips, I dropped it. And I remember when I dropped it, it was because it was just, something just jarred. And for the first time I went, what the hell am I doing here? Like, it was an awakening. Like, I knew what was going on with sharks and fisheries and my childhood passions and the habit of going to a fish and chips, quite literally a habit of just going, yeah, flake. And it all coalesced into this one moment just as it was about to hit my lips. And I went, I can't do this anymore. And it wasn't because I put a rule saying to myself, no, Leo, you're not allowed to do this anymore. It was because it was now part of my identity. I couldn't be the person I was and eat flake. It didn't match up. Since that day, I've never really eaten flake. But in a broader context, quite a few people probably don't know that flake is shark. And on top of that, in Australia, there's no obligation to label flake as a particular species. Quite literally the other week, we found out through some scientific studies that in the UK, for example shark flesh endangered species were being sold as i said there's no obligation to label it so there's that issue there's the other issue of when you catch a shark 
you know, you're paying for it in dolphin flesh, in turtle flesh, in dugong flesh, but they're mainly caught with nets. So there's other things that get caught alongside sharks. But I suppose the more tangible, at least day-to-day relevant thing is that shark flesh does contain contaminants, like most meat. And although it's unlikely that you'll get sick from eating flake at your local fish and chip shop, there is the real risk that with sharks that are over one and a half meters, in particular because of their size, they can accumulate potentially dangerous levels of heavy metals like mercury and arsenic. Now I have to put in the caveat, this isn't medical advice, but it is a concern that with large species in particular, there are those risks. So whilst you won't die from eating flakes, so to speak, it's clearly not very good for you to eat a lot of it. And what I would recommend is that people, even not just from a health perspective, but even from just a, a well-being perspective and, and the impact it has on the environment, eat less. Start with eating less. You don't have to stop straight away. Just start with eating less. So instead of going to your fish and chip shop on a Friday night and ordering flake, decide to order something a bit more sustainable. And if you're not sure what sustainable is, the Australian Marine Conservation Society has a sustainable seafood app, which is free to download, and that'll give you all the information you need. You just type in the species you want, if you know what particular fish you want, or you just essentially go, what is sustainable? What is green listed? And then see if your fish and chip shop has that. Awesome. Dr. Guida from the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Can you tell us in particular, if we want to download this app for eating seafood more sustainably, what do we search for? So if you don't have the sustainable seafood app and you'd like to get a hold of it, all you have to do is type in sustainableseafood.org.au and it's easy as downloading it and away you go. All right, we are recording The Trail Less Travelled on the eastern coast of Australia, and the voice you've been hearing is the voice of Dr. Leonardo Guida. He is the senior shark campaigner for the Australian Marine Conservation Society. He leads their conservation campaign, Shark Champions, in partnership with Humane Society International. We're going to talk about finning when we come back. We're recording on the lip of a sand dune. Right behind me is the ocean. I can feel the breeze dripping off the leaves around us is saltwater mist what song reminds you of saltwater the song that reminds me of the ocean and how it makes me feel it's a track called saltwater by a dj called chicane i suppose it's very like chilled out house vibe but it starts really slow builds into it and it really puts you in that zen space and then eventually throughout the song it just ramps up and gets you know quite energetic and it's it's how the ocean makes me feel so it puts me in this zen space but at the same time it's quite inspiring and it just brings up a well of energy within me and, and passion to go forward Today we are recording the trail less travelled on the eastern coast of Australia about 150 odd kilometres north of Brisbane I'm here on location with Dr. Leonardo Guida. He is the senior shark campaigner for the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Now, Dr. Guida, you can hear the sound of the ocean behind us. It's late afternoon in Australia. Can you maybe paint the picture for the listener what you see when you look 360 degrees around you right now in Australia? Sure. Behind me, there are sand dunes with some of the softest sand you'll ever feel between your toes. There are some beautiful looking places perched up on the hill overlooking the ocean. And as you turn around towards the ocean, 
you really get to see the raw power of it and the, the turquoise water and the horizon right in the distance and it's just begging you to jump in and come explore it and there are people frolicking around happily enjoying the sun and the surf and there are lifesavers there making sure that everyone's safe and sound all right why is it significant that we're recording the show where we are right now you are the senior shark campaigner for the australian marine conservation society can you tell us about what you see in the water so what's particularly relevant about where we are now is about halfway between where i'm standing and the horizon itself you can see these yellow buoys which are actually shark drum lines now, these drum lines are baited hooks designed to capture and kill sharks, all for the purpose of saving people. The reality is that less than two people a year on average, I think, die from shark bites. Um, and in stark contrast to that, on the same beach, literally a couple of hundred metres away on the shore, you've got lifeguards. And they save countless more people per year from drowning. Now, drum lines are pretty ineffective. They'll bring the animal in, if anything. Um, but also, there has been a fatality at a drumline beach uh, in Amity Point, in Stradbroke Island, to be more specific, in 2006, if I'm not mistaken. And there have also been shark bites at drumline beaches. One of the more recent ones I can think of was actually in New South Wales at Ballina, where a man was bitten on the leg by what they presume was a great white. And in the same area were smart drumlines. So they really are ineffective. And, and my argument is that money and effort is better spent on lifeguards so having eyes on the water well i suppose to keep people safe from drowning because that kills more people but having more eyes on the water with lifeguards also has the added benefit of essentially keeping a lookout if there is something suspicious in the water and this may also include the use of drones aerial surveillance which again they also use for lifesaving so i personally think it's a bit of a no-brainer that more money and and effort should be invested in non-lethal means of shark control to keep people safe and ultimately to keep sharks safe. Awesome. That is the voice of Dr. Leonardo Guida. He is the senior shark campaigner for the Australian Marine Conservation Society. We're here walking on the beach, and I'm just wondering if you could tell us exactly what makes up a shark drum. So the shark drum line is this yellow buoy that floats on the water. So it's pretty obvious to a fisher where you can go collect it. And attached to that buoy is a chain with a weight so that it's relatively stationary. Obviously it moves with the water. And then further up on that buoy, it's a wire tracer with a hook. And that hook is baited and designed to capture a shark. Now in Queensland, there are 19 species listed, which are quote-unquote target sharks. So if any of those species are found on a hook, the fisher then hauls that hook up and kills the shark, quite literally, with a gunshot to the head. But you'll often see or hear that referred to as euthanising the animal. So I wouldn't quite call it euthanising, I'd call it, well, murder, I guess. Dr Guida, my question for you is how long have drumlines been around in Australia? In Queensland in particular, the drum lines have been here since the 1960s. And that was in response to two people dying, believe it or not, I think here in Noosa. At least that's what the stories say. But suffice to say, the drum lines have been in for the better part of 50 years at least. And 
it really is a shame and tragedy that you know an archaic ineffective method is still being used to keep people safe in the water from sharks we're now moving in step with technology where we've got drones you know providing aerial surveillance we, we, we can have more lifeguards on the beach watchtowers community education even signage some sharks i know in the u.s for example even have a twitter account and through twitter people are aware of where these particular sharks are so there are a range of other creative options that we can explore that keep people safe in the water and also keep sharks safe in the water the fact that there's still a bit of chain and hook in the water or a net frankly is unacceptable Dr. Guida, you are a shark scientist, and these sharks are not just Australia sharks. They travel all over the world. So, for example, the sharks that are swimming off the coast of Australia are right now. Where might they swim to in this world besides the coast of Australia? Yep. So sharks are known to travel, or at least some species anyway, can travel thousands of kilometers. I mean, there's a famous case of a great white shark called Nicole, who made a return trip from Australia to South Africa in the space of about nine months, which is just crazy. Like, it's incredible. So great whites are capable of travelling extreme distances. But hammerheads, I mean, the most amazing thing about hammerheads in Australia is, or at least what they think is happening, because they're still yet to exactly find out what's going on, is that large females actually travel to Indonesia. And then when they're ready to give birth, it's like they come back home to Australia and give birth here in our coastal waters. And then eventually the younger hammerheads grow up and they do the same thing. So it's amazing that these species, you know, traverse waters and completely don't care about boundaries because then they don't exist. They just live. And as beautiful as that is, the darker side of that is, is that obviously you've got two different countries with two different rules and two different ways of managing their fisheries. And that's a real big challenge for not just the hammerhead here in Australia, being able to manage their populations and how they interact with fisheries, but also how does that fit in with Indonesia? How does it fit in with their practices? And it's not a story unique to Australia either. These stories happen all over the world, especially in parts of in Europe and the Mediterranean and Africa, where you've got European fisheries operating in African waters. And, and it's a giant mishmash. So conservation can be quite challenging but ultimately the goal is there to save sharks and and the ideal vision is is that if we can work together and effectively we can come up with a brighter future and we have that potential beautiful that is the voice of dr leonardo guida and we are recording on the coast of eastern australia we are literally just a few steps from the ocean and i'm grateful to the wind gods for giving us a break so that we can walk down the beach and talk about sharks I'd like to talk about the sharks that are probably within a few hundred meters of where we are right now. It is thought by some that we're near one of the greatest tiger shark breeding grounds in the world. Dr. Guida, can you tell us a little bit more about tiger sharks and what they do for the health of the ocean? Tiger sharks do frequent Queensland waters quite often, especially sort of up in the north tropical areas around the Whitsundays and the Great Barrier Reef. And tiger sharks have a really, really important role in the ecosystem. I mean, they don't just keep the food web in check, but they actually modify the environment around them by actually influencing how other animals behave. So tiger sharks, in a really weird way, actually protect juvenile fish. And the way that works is that tiger sharks, when they come into the shallows, 
where there's seagrass will actually in effect scare dugongs. So dugongs will be more concerned about being eaten by a tiger shark than actually eating the seagrass. So in doing that, the tiger shark is actually preventing too much seagrass being eaten. Now seagrass is incredibly important because it forms a a really safe habitat for a lot of juvenile fish. I mean, there's crustaceans there that they can eat, but at the same time, it's, it's quite safe and buffeted from, I suppose, the energy and rawness of the open ocean. So if we take our tiger sharks through fishing, through bycatch, and, and bycatch is when they're accidentally caught, if we take them out in crazy numbers, then, I mean, you're talking about the Great Barrier Reef being in danger, not just from climate change, but also because you're taking out sharks and you're affecting how the ecosystem interacts with itself. So it's really important that, that we protect sharks for the sake of the ocean health, the reef health, and ultimately us. We depend on the ocean for survival. Beautiful. Dr. Guida, there are so many things that we can talk about uh, and shed light on in terms of the beautiful creature that is known as the shark. Tiburón in Spanish. But I'd like to now ask a question for the thousands of people listening, I know you're out there, who say, yeah, that's nice, but I'm still not going to go in the ocean. I'm afraid of sharks. I hear it all the time. What's the message that you could say to them to maybe just yeah. encourage them a little? Having a fear of sharks does not make you a bad person. I have a healthy sense of fear about sharks. And that fear is instinctual, but it's also acknowledging the fact that you, know, you are entering an environment that is essentially foreign for a human and you're at the ocean's mercy whether that be through waves or animals and having that healthy sense of fear keeps you safe but the important thing is is to not let that fear override sound judgment so having culling programs no what's important is that we don't let fear override a sound sense of judgment and that's what culling does. The reality is the amount of people bitten and unfortunately killed by sharks isn't because there's more sharks. In fact, it probably has nothing to do with the number of sharks. What it actually really nicely matches up with is how many people are going into the water. And obviously you've got population increases and Australia's in a pretty unique position where you've got around about 90% of its population on the coastline and growing. So it's okay for people to have a healthy sense of fear for sharks. I'd call it respect, really. As I said, I'm not willing to jump into waters where I know there's a great white shark. Yes, I'm afraid. And frankly, that would be silly, both for me and the animal. So that fear keeps me safe. It also keeps me in awe of the animal and it enables me to interact with it safely and appreciate it for what it is. We have been recording on location on the coast of Eastern Australia with Dr. Leonardo Guida. He is the senior shark campaigner for the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Can you talk about the project Shark Champions? Sure. So Shark Champions is our national multi-year campaign here in Australia. And I'll be leading it on behalf of the Australian Marine Conservation Society. And it's in partnership with Humane Society International as well. And we'll be looking at improving the conservation of sharks and rays, largely through fisheries and also transitioning lethal culling into non-lethal methods to keep people safe. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Leonardo Guida, for your time and energy joining me here on the beach in Australia for the Trail Less Travelled. Thank you.
Today the trail has traveled as being recorded on the eastern coast of Australia, about 150-odd kilometers north of Brisbane. We're speaking today with Dr. Leonardo Guida. He's the senior shark campaigner with the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Can you end your show with three bits of advice for the listener? Sure. One, beach safety. So whenever you go to the beach, if you're concerned about sharks or, or potential interaction with them, swim between the flags, listen to the lifeguards, keep your eyes out for any particular signage, and ultimately, if you're really unsure, ask a local. Better be safe than sorry. Second is, I would say, eat less flake. So flake, shark flesh. It's really popular here in Australia. I personally don't eat it. That's a personal choice. But yeah, start with eating less flake and see how that feels. And if you want, go the extra step. Don't eat it at all. And the third one was be if you want to support sharks here in Australia, visit sharkchampions.org.au, which is our campaign website. And there you can take direct action to help save sharks and raise in Australia. Dr. Guido, what song would you like to end your show with? Somewhere Beyond the Sea. It just speaks adventure. I mean, the title in and of itself. It's, it's happy, it's upbeat, puts you in a good mood, and just like the ocean, the expanses are huge, and you can go anywhere you put your mind to. Namaste, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure series, which airs every Sunday evening at 6. Visit the official website to archive previous episodes, see pictures, and follow us as we record on location around the world at traillesstraveled.net. The podcast is free and available wherever you gather podcasts, so please subscribe and consider writing us a review to help this new genre of adventure radio. I'd like to thank my guest this week, Dr. Leonardo Guida. In 2016, Dr. Guida completed his PhD at Monash University, studying the effects of commercial fishing on shark and ray populations. He is the Australian Marine Conservation Society's senior shark campaigner, leading their conservation campaign, Shark Champions, in partnership with Humane Society International. If you would like to be involved with shark conservation in Australia, visit sharkchampions.org.au. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and I work full-time as an international adventure guide, mainly running whitewater in the Grand Canyon during the summer, in order to save money to travel and record this adventure radio series. My goal is to interview adventurers and storytellers in their natural habitat, in the most remote locations around the world, in order to bring you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. I hope these interviews inform and inspire the community to get outside, away from technology, and start adventuring in a similar fashion. Tonight's episode was recorded on location on the beach in Noosa, Queensland, on the eastern coast of Australia. My adventure tip this week comes from a local Australian. Hi, my name is Regan Gordon. We're in Caloundra, Australia. I'm an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker, and my tip is, remember when on adventures you should always take water, but at the same time, save that water in respect that it could be the water you need to survive. Always look for other water and be careful of the water you do drink. Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, I invite you to do something for Mother Earth. And of course, get outside. Shred the gnar. Because the thing about the gnar is... It doesn't tread itself. The Trail Less Traveled podcast is sponsored by Desert Green Hemp. 
family farmed, organically grown, tested and manufactured in Sisters, Oregon. Desert Green is a collective of farms on the eastern foothills of the Oregon Cascade Range that grow and produce the highest quality full-spectrum CBD products currently on the market. Full-spectrum CBD oil contains vitamin A, C, and E, along with complex B vitamins such as niacin, riboflavin, and thiamine. An increasing amount of people don't consume beta-carotene, but it is abundant in full-spectrum oil. Crucial minerals contained in this oil include zinc, potassium, iron, calcium, and phosphorus. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com to check out some of their products, including CBD honey, olive oil, chocolate, salve, and my personal favorites, Yarrow Mint CBD Tincture and Hemp Flower for smoking. For me to you, my personal experience regarding the Desert Green CBD Tinctures includes anxiety relief, improved eyesight, decreased inflammation in my skin and knees after four serious knee surgeries and years of battling acne. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com and remember to use promo code MANDELA for evolving discounts and special offers. That promo code, M-A-N-D-E-L-A, directly helps you and the future of Adventure Radio.